Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. And we are launching a brand new series today entitled Money Talks. And so the premise of the entire series is if your money could talk, assuming it's for you, it's trying to help you, what would it say? What would be the, some of the profound things that your money would say to you? Now, some of the things you would say, oh yeah, I already knew that. Some of you wouldn't be real shocked by some of the things money would say. You'd say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably should have done this. Uh, but one of the things that might be most shocking to most of us is the parallel between what money would say and what Jesus already did say about money. Now, if you grew up in church or around church, this might not be news to you, but Jesus actually said more about money and possessions than heaven. Can you believe that? One of the most common ways that Jesus would teach was through a parable where he would use, um, you know, a, kind of a symbolic representation or metaphorical representation of our relationship with God to teach us something profound about God, and he called them parables. Now, in these parables, of some 38 parables that Jesus told, 16 of his 38 parables were about money and possessions. Can you believe that? A lot of Jesus' teaching. Why did Jesus talk so much about money? What was he after? Well, I'll tell you what he wasn't after. He wasn't after your money. <laughs> he isn't after your wallet. He was after something much, much more important, some, something much deeper that our money tends to be connected to. So the first thing that money would say, profound thing that it would say, if it could talk, if it could say something to us, it would say this, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. In other words, money, I mean, let's admit it, it's powerful. It has powerful, it is powerful to be able to sway the world for good or for bad. Money can get things done, right? But money is only as good as the end in which it is used. That it is a means to an end. Money is, is not intended to be the meaning of life. As a matter of fact, money would remind us it doesn't get much play at funerals. Nobody wants to sit and talk about money at funerals, right? But here's what it would say, or what, what we do need to understand, is that being a means to an end, um, pardon, being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful. That, Jesus, uh, that money would tell us that money is a better means than an end. That it is, exists to be a means to an end, to use for something greater than itself. That money, the moment it becomes an end in and of itself, it becomes a detriment to us. If our career and our accumulation and our consumption becomes the goal of why we work and why we earn, then we are slowly becoming, uh, you know, the end of our uh, our means that, are, that we are the own we are our own into our means and so it is a detriment to us it really becomes it starts to fall apart but when we understand that not just money but everything has meaning because it is an ends an end to uh, it's a means to an end pardon me um, then 
all of a sudden, things can have great meaning. As a matter of fact, you think about anything in your life that is meaningful to you, whether it's your cell phone or a garbage can or pots and pans in your kitchen, they are only meaningful to you because they get certain things done. They are able to accomplish things greater than themselves. They are a means to an end. And not only is that true of the things of our life, but it's, uh, it's true of anything that's going to have meaning. It is true of you and I as well. That our life only has meaning insofar as that we personally are a means to an end. That our life is given to something greater than ourselves. The moment that we make life about us, that we are the goal to consume, to make ourselves happy, and everything and everyone else is second to that, you've just set yourself on a course to being very, very lonely. You know why? Because people don't like to be second to your money and to your stuff and to you and to everything else that you prioritize for yourself. It pushes people away. But what's so powerful is we begin to understand that God created us to be a means to an end. In other words, that we contribute our life to something greater, something that brings glory to God, something that God put in us to be able to manifest, something to generate here on this earth that he wants to do through us. Now all of a sudden, this is the secret to life, is understanding that you and I are a means to to an end. And we see it in every person that has ever lived that we would say, that person is inspiring. We celebrate them. Somebody like a Mother Teresa, this is kind of an extreme example, but gave her life to these dying children in Calcutta, some of them of AIDS and other things, and they're there to love them down to the very end. They gave, she and her team gave their very life, their ministry, to doing that. And people all over the world applaud and celebrate, venerate people who do that. But in all of its spectrum, that is what it's for. But what's interesting is that when we decide, you and I decide that we're going to live our life like that, we decide to be a means to an end, what's interesting is that your money will follow. All of a sudden now, it just makes sense. It brings such clarity to your life because why wouldn't I use my money to, to accomplish this means, to, to this great end? Of course I would. It would be a huge disservice it would be a huge missed opportunity if i didn't so today what i'd like to do is take a look at one of jesus's powerful parables this passage where he is unpacking this relationship between god and us in relation to money and really helping us to understand how we're supposed to relate to money and really understand the role of money in our life. And we're going to be looking at several over the next few weeks, but this is a great one to kind of get us started. It's in Luke chapter 16. We're going to start with verse 1. And here's what Jesus told his disciples. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, we got this guy. He's very wealthy. He's so wealthy, in fact, he hires another guy to buy, sell, and trade his things because he has more than he can manage for himself. So he asked this other guy to do it. Now what we find out is this guy is cooking up some deals on the side and making some money that he's pocketing personally. In other words, this guy who is a manager is acting like an owner to the money he was asked to manage. This is a really important relationship that I want us to keep in mind as we go through this parable because he's managing his owner's possessions. And so this is why he's, he's calling him hen. There's going to be a, an accountability meeting here. It's about to happen. Verse 2, here's what we're told. 
So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account. In other words, I want you to, I'm holding you accountable for what you did. Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. In other words, I'm firing you today. So Jesus is, you know, given one of those, a, a tough moment that maybe some of the people who are listening have been through before. But so this guy's being fired and he's realizing, oh man. I have a limited amount of time. I have a limited amount of opportunity. What on earth am I going to do with this little bit that I have left? Here's what we're told in the next verse. He starts talking to himself. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Like with this limited time and limited resources, limited opportunity, what am I going to do right now to prepare for what's about to happen in the future? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his, of the, of his master's debtors. So the implication is that one at a time, he's going to call in all of his master's uh, people that, owe, that, that they borrowed money from his master, and he's going to go through each one of these people who had business with his master and settle accounts with them, close up all these accounts for the master before he is uh, out of the office, packs up his desk, and leaves, okay? So he's trying to make the most of it. And here's what we're told next. He asked the first, the first guy that owed his master money, he says, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450, to which the audience to Jesus' story would think, okay, the manager of this guy's money definitely had some latitude to negotiate the payoff amount, but to cut it in half, 50%, are you kidding me? This guy's gonna really get it in the end. This is gonna be horrible. Then he sits down with the next guy, the second one, he said to the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So he did this over and over and over with everybody who owed his, his owner's money um, or the owner of his business money and takes all this money to the master. Now, the audience of Jesus' story is probably thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is going to get it. But master storyteller Jesus always likes to put a twist in the story that makes people go, wait, what? I, I, I didn't see this coming. This is what happens next. This is the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He commended him. He like celebrated him. He said, wow, what an amazing job you did. You acted shrewdly. In other words, you were very forward-thinking in how you collected the money. Like, you really thought about your future. This is what shrewd in this context meant, that he was thinking about, how do I leverage right now for what's going to happen in the future? So, he managed the money in such a way that this guy could have a place to go and have people that owed him some favors so that he had a place to live and possibly could get a job. He was thinking about the future. And then Jesus zeroes in on the point that he wants his audience members, his disciples in particular, but even us today who are followers of Jesus, he wants us to get from this. He says, for the people of this world, in other words, the people who live like this world is all there is. 
when this life is over, we're done. We're food for worms. It's gone. We're, we're no more, right? He says, people of this world are more shrewd, more forward-thinking in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Wow, this is quite an accusation. Jesus is talking about people of light. These are the people who have placed faith in God, who have a relationship with God, who have faith and confidence that when this life is over, there is eternal life with God to last for, for all time. He's saying, there are times where I look around and the people of this world who don't have a relationship with God are more shrewd. They're more forward-thinking. They're more like scrupulous and, and they're more careful in how they think about how do I use what I have right now to benefit in the future than even the people of light. The people of light don't often ask, how do I use what I have right now to make a difference not just in the, the near future, but eternally. This is what Jesus is trying to get us to think. Like, how, like we have an opportunity with resources, possessions, and time, and talent, education, and all the things that we've been blessed with. How do we leverage those things to make an eternal difference? In other words, here's what Jesus was getting at. The manager, the manager was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time an opportunity. And Jesus' accusation, this is pretty heavy duty. He's saying, and even the people of light don't do this very well. We tend to be a means to our own end. We are awesome at consuming all we make, all we have. We are, we, we, as it goes up, so does our consumption rate. As our income goes up, he's saying, our people of light need to sharpen the blade in this regard. We need to think about this more. And here's what he says next. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth, the money that you have. Now, you may not think, I'm, I'm not wealthy. He's not talking about whether you're wealthy or not. He's just saying, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This might be one of the most confusing verses in the New Testament that Jesus ever said. It kind of sounds like he's saying, buy your way into heaven, right? Manipulate people so you can get into heaven. That is not what he's saying at all. When you look at it in the cultural context and in the context of this parable, here's what Jesus is saying. While you have time, be forward thinking. Well, you have limited time, limited opportunity. Use what you have to be a blessing to other people. Help other people in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, ministry, simply put, is just to meet a need. Christian ministry is to meet a need in the name of Jesus. Anybody can do that. A child can do that. He's saying, go out and help people, and even more importantly, help people to find Jesus. Help people to take a step in their faith towards Jesus. Help people to know who he is. Use what you have to connect people of this world to eternity. And when you do that, you will begin to understand that you and everything you have is a means to an end. Jesus echoes this, we put it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasure here on this earth. This doesn't mean don't ever buy things here on earth. 
He's saying, lay up for yourself treasure in, in heaven where moth and rust can't erode, a thieves can't steal, nothing can take its value away, it can never be taken from you. This just means arrange your life in such a way that you live on less than you make, that you live modestly compared to what you could live on so that you can be as generous as possible, so you can lay up as much treasure as you can possible into heaven. You see, according to Jesus, money is a means, not an end. That it is an opportunity to make an eternal difference in this world while we still have time. Just like the manager said, what can I do now that can make a difference in the near future? What can I be doing with my stuff and my opportunity, my resources right now? This is such an important question. And the manager had to realize 100% of what I have to manage is not mine. It is the owner. It is the master's. And so it is with you and I as well. It's a question that we've got to ask. How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me, that's not you? How do we leverage more of that? And, and I remember probably the first conversation that Leslie, my wife Leslie and I had back in 1994 when we first got married. It's been 26, almost and a half years now. But back when we got married, we'd made a decision early on that we were gonna live on a certain percentage of our income so that we were able to give a minimum, kind of a benchmark of 10% before taxes that we were gonna give that away to the ministry of Jesus Christ. To, to the church that we belong to or other ministries, et cetera, whatever that happened to be at the time. But we felt like that was what God had spoken to us that we were supposed to do. And maybe this will inspire you to try that same step. But here's what's been really cool that's happened. That through the years that we have, that is sort of spilled over into our, our current stuff that we have, that we don't want to hoard anything. If it's not serving a purpose, let's give it away. Let's give it to somebody. Let's try to bless somebody with it. Let's give it away to Twin City Mission. Let's, let's, let's just get it out of the house. Now, of course, we've got some stuff that we're saving for maybe grandkids someday. Some of you guys have some of that stuff too, and it's not really serving much of a purpose other than that, but it's in the attic. Anyway, but other than that, I'm telling you, I am kind of, I, I get a little uh, militaristic about this, like we gotta get rid of it. We're not using it. Let's give it to somebody else. But it has been such a blessing because here's what we found, that we have an ability, and God has really given this to us as a gift, that we have the ability to convert our stuff into stories. We've turned our stuff into stories. And we don't miss the stuff. Can I be honest with you? We don't, we don't miss the stuff. But some of the stories, when we tell them, when we retell them, we still get emotional about how God used certain things that we gave to, we were a part of, and how it changed people's lives. It was so powerful. So one of the most important questions that I want to challenge you with today, when you make a financial decision in your life, as a couple, as a single, and however your life is arranged right now, do I want more stuff or more stories? Because let's just be really honest, not to sound morbid, but at your funeral, at my funeral, at our funeral, right? Nobody's going to talk about your stuff. Nobody gives a rip about your stuff, right? Nobody cares. You know what they're going to do? They're going to tell stories. 
I'm going to tell stories about your life where you touched their life, where you inspired them, where something you don't even know you did, know you said, because your life contributed to something greater than you. And what's so beautiful, and I hope you hear it loud and clear from this parable today that Jesus is teaching us, is that while you and I still have time, we get to dictate, we get to control what those stories will be. That we can be a part of helping to shape those stories. Asking deep questions like, what do I want to be remembered for? What do I want people to applaud or remember or be inspired by in my life if you had that opportunity not many people do at the end of your life people to line up and to thank you for something what would you like them to thank you for this is so incredibly important so many people don't think about this they just think about what they want next but it is far more important we wouldn't trade, Leslie and I, I know I can speak for her, we wouldn't trade anything for the money that we gave because of the stories that it produced. And every time we walk in this building, every time we watch somebody get baptized, every time hands go up in a service where somebody's taking a spiritual step towards Jesus Christ, oh my gosh, wow, it is so awesome because we know their story is a part of our story. We got to be a part of that because we contributed to it. We got to be a part of it. I hope like crazy today, you don't miss the window of opportunity that God has put before you. We've got limited time, limited opportunity to make an eternal difference. Jesus continues the teaching this way in verse 10. He says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. He's starting to juxtapose or compare heaven with earth. That what happens here on earth has a sense of echoing and mirroring what's going to happen in eternity. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Jesus is saying, make no mistake, there will come a time when we come to heaven and what we have done here on earth and the generosity that we have had or didn't have will be mirrored in some way there. That there will be a sense in which we will be so glad, we will wish we had done more, that we had converted more into heavenly treasure that can never be taken away. In other words, Jesus is showing us money is a test. It's a test. It's also a tool that it's a means to an end. It's something greater than itself. It can be used for something greater, eternal in value. And what we do with what we have indicates whose kingdom we are devoted to. I'm talking about everybody, all of us, my, at the Lewis household too. We've got to learn how to exercise self-discipline to live on less than we make to live modestly, less than we could live on, so that we have margin to be generous, so that we can give towards the kingdom we actually belong to, that we know will last forever, that will never be taken away, that will never lose its value, will go on and on and on, that is of God. He's saying, with that, 
treasure that you've been given, time, talent, ability, education, etc., that you leverage every day for benefit. And that's good. It's a gift from God. It should be. But it also reflects, are we living for the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God? It's a powerful question. It's a convicting question. If I'm be honest, me too. It's making me think, well, I need to think through some areas of my life as well. And so, Jesus ends this way in verse 12. He says, <coughs> pardon me, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, and you might be saying, someone else's property? What are you talking about? Who will give you property of your own? The whole narrative of this parable is to help us to see we are managers. We are the managers. We manage things that are not our property. This is not our stuff. It is for a master. It is for God Almighty. It is on loan from him, and we get to have it for a little while. It is a gift. It is beautiful, but we will be held accountable for how we managed it. And he says, someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? God's saying, I want to bless you with something in heaven that can never be taken away. It'll be yours forever. Here's what I believe money would tell us if it could speak to us. I'll still be here when you're gone. The moment you think you own me, I own you. The moment that money becomes the thing that you work for, that it is an end in and of itself, it will make you its slave. And you will buy more, and you will overpurchase, and all you're doing is servicing debt and all the things you felt like you couldn't live without, and your whole life will be spent in service to money. It would tell you, don't treat me like that, or you'll regret it. You will regret it. Jesus is trying to help us to see when it comes to money and your stuff, your possessions, understand you're managers, not owners. You're managers, not owners. And I can prove it to you. The moment that you and I pass from this earth, we don't take our stuff with us, right? It all stays here. It all either goes to landfill, somebody sells it, it goes to a resale shop, and the stuff that maybe has a little bit of value, some family member or somebody's going to get it, and they probably won't take nearly as good a care of it that you did right? <laughs> That's what's going to happen to it. It's all going away from you. That proves that you're just managing it right now. It will be taken from you. It'll be taken from me. And therefore, we've got to begin to think about this, that God has given you a little time and a little creation to manage. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God creates the heavens and the earth, and he makes the earth in six days, and what's beautiful about this is he puts mankind, Adam and Eve, over all of the earth, all of creation. He says, I'm giving you the gift of dominion that you may rule over, that you may manage this world on my behalf. This is how it all started from the beginning. We've, got, we've all been given a little bit of creation and a little bit of time, and we'll all be accountable for how we manage that. And it's important to keep that in mind as we make those decisions. Here's what money would tell us, just to recap. I'm a means, not an end. That I am a tool, and I am also a test. I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. And I just encourage you right now to really begin to think about what is that? What is that that God wants to do in your life? 
What is that thing that he is trying to do through your life that you could be a part of being the solution to part of what ails this world? Here's a great question that not many people ask, but it is so powerful. When we ask this, it clarifies so much for us, and it also clarifies where money should go. If being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? Because if you can find the answer to that, it will bring such clarity to your life. Pray about it. God birthed you on this earth with an end in mind that he wanted for your life. And as you seek him, he will reveal that to you. And what's so beautiful is it not only brings clarity and purpose and meaning to your life, but also to your money and to your resources and your stuff. And even your role within your family, your role within society, your role within this church, it helps you to understand what God wants to do through you. So powerful. And what's beautiful is that this is not just something that Jesus asked us to do, but it is something that Jesus exemplified, that he lived out. Jesus came and said, I am also a means to an end, that I have come to give my life to the glory of God for the ransom of many, that through faith in Jesus Christ, that we can be made into the family of God, that the children of God, that we can be forgiven of sin, we can have a relationship with Jesus his Father, through the Holy Spirit in heaven. He gives us his mission statement in John 10.10, that I have come, this is the reason I came, for this, my life was a means to an end. I have come that you may have life, and life to the, of the full, life that is abundant. I want you to have that, and that's the reason I have come, and it's the reason I lay my life down. I'm a means to an end. And Jesus says, and now as my followers, I want you to come and follow me. I have set you an example so that you know now how to live in light of me being your master, your Lord, your God. It brings clarity. It, it brings all the muddiness out of the water and clarifies. And here's the prayer I'd like you to pray with me today. Simply saying, Lord, I want to use my life, I want you to use my life, money and possessions to make an eternal difference. Help me to be more generous with what I manage for you. Now you may already be really generous, but God isn't done with you. He may have another step. He wants to stretch your faith to say, yeah, there's a little more I want to, to do through you. And you're not gonna regret it. You won't miss the stuff. You won't miss the money. And you won't trade anything for the stories that are going to come out of it. And finally, I give you all of me today, all of me, and all 100% of what you've given me to manage. I give it all back. To, I'm just recognizing it all comes from you, God. So you show me how you want me to better manage what you have put me over. And just like this manager in the parable, there's coming a day where we will give a, an account for what we've been put over. While we still have time, let's leverage it. Forward thinking, how do we take what we've been given so that it makes an eternal difference to lay up treasure in heaven, trading stuff for stories. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. 
for directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.